0: Ayer's on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer.
1: Hello there, parents, grandparents, and other various and sundry listeners. Richard and Linda Ayer here. We really are on the road again. I mean, some of you listeners must say, do you do those Ayer's ever go home? And the answer is, not very often, but... Uh, We were there all the time for many, many years raising all those kids, and now that we're empty nesters, we're just a little bit footloose and fancy-free, I guess, Linda.
0: We have been out and about. However, we have been out and about for a special reason this week because we had a family occasion that we'll never forget. Um, Richard's mother, Ruth Iyer, passed away about two weeks ago. And which is why we didn't do the show last week because it was the day of her funeral. But it really was an amazing experience. We were all so grateful for her because she has been dying to die for about five years. The poor dear, she's totally lost her memory of any of us.
1: well, let me let me give a little thumbnail and then it'll actually' it'll lead in perfectly to what we wanted to talk about today anyway. My blessed mom, 91, and she lived about 88 years with a memory, and then she lived three years without a memory, and that was a tough, tough thing because really about all she could remember was that uh, she'd been alone for a very long time, and she wanted to die, and she could not quite understand why Dean, her husband, who had been gone for 53 years, if you can imagine. Why won't Dean come and get me? And any time she had a moment of lucidity, that was what she would say. So needless to say, we were all praying that she could pass and, and go and be with her beloved Dean. And so when it happened, and I'm sure many of you listening have experienced cases like this, the, the funeral was a celebration. Everyone was so thrilled that she had finally got her wish. And even the missing that you usually feel for a person, I would say Linda was really deluded because we'd basically been missing her for three years because, frankly, she hadn't really been there. But but the great thing, and I, this is so so obvious, but it's something you don't think about enough until it happens, even in her death, she made a great contribution to our family simply be, because it brought us all together—all nine of our children from all over the world, where they live, and uh, so her, her surviving siblings and a whole lot of their family, and so on. And it was a—it was a wonderful family reunion, made even more special by the fact that we were there to honor Ruth and to remember her life, and so on. and We debated whether to put the death notice in, in broader circulation because, as many of you may know, Ruth was the was the original writer and founder of the Joy School curriculum, which she based on our book. We had a best-selling book a few years ago called Teaching Your Children Joy, And Ruth, who was really in her intellectual prime at that time, took that book and the 12 joys that it espouses that parents should teach to children and literally transformed that book into a full-year joy school curriculum. And some of you know this, joy school is a phenomenon. It's reached literally hundreds of thousands of families now all over the world in most countries. And so Ruth Iyer will go down as the author and the initiator of that remarkable program. Who knows how many preschoolers have benefited from that, but if it's hundreds of thousands of families and some of them with a couple of kids in those families, quarter of a million, maybe a huge number of children have benefited from her and of course no child benefited more than me because I was her first son and she raised me and who knows what horrible thing I'd have been without her.
0: (laughs) You know she raised uh, that little family on her own. You were 15 and your baby sister was three and there were five of you and so she just went forward all by herself and raised those children sundry different jobs and so on but she was an early childhood education major and so as we were doing the joy school book the joy book for children we thought you know we really should make this into something that can really apply every day to children not just for parents so we got that idea and we passed it on to her and then we actually left for three
1: years well yeah that's (laughs) what i was going to say it was such an interesting thing looking back and sometimes it takes a a funeral or an event like this to cause you to reflect, but the timing of all that was really remarkable, and I think we should take a minute on it, because so many, almost everywhere we go now with our speaking and our seminars and so on, we we meet people who have done joy school, and they're, they're always so delighted, and I must say they're so delightful. I think Something about Joy School attracts the very best moms and the very best families. At least maybe we're a little prejudiced. but Well,
0: and it does sound a little hokey. <laughs> when yeah, we first knew went, can we really call this a Joy School? It sounds so hokey. But actually, people have loved it because that is what it's all about, teaching children to have a happy childhood and to love the earth and their bodies and to learn how to make decisions and do all kinds of fun things like that.
1: So it really is all about joy. Especially preschoolers. And that, and that was sort of the genesis of it. For those of you that are not familiar with joy school, kind of as a tribute to my mom, we ought to, we ought to briefly tell you that the the actual origin of the book, Teaching Your Children Joy, was a quite a personal story for us. We were living in Washington, D.C. at the time, and, and it was a time and a place that was a real hotbed of early childhood education. I mean, you know, and it's, this is still the case in many places, but you know, we would get circulars on our doorstep and things in the mail. Get your two year old into school now or that two year old will be left behind and will not get in the proper prep school and will not get in the Ivy League. And I mean, it was just a fervor of starting early and giving kids a big jump start on their education and so on. We literally had all all through our neighborhood there different preschoolers, some focusing only on academics, some on on the arts or whatever, but it was like, what preschool can you get into? And something about it just rubbed us the wrong way. We just felt like, don't kids deserve a childhood? Can't... Can't academics wait a couple more years? Can't we keep these kids in our home and celebrate the fact that they're kids for just a little while? And we we sort of voiced that concern, and others seem to feel the same thing. And I don't know. Without spare, I'll spare you all the detail. But bottom line is, we ended up writing this book, teaching your children joy, with joy defined as the social and emotional sort of aptitudes that would help a child to be well adjusted and happy and to have a, a fun preschool time and to be ready emotionally and socially to go to kindergarten.
0: And now I have to add though that we, we realize that there there is a certain amount that your child needs to know before they go to kindergarten. So many kindergarten children are now reading going into kindergarten. But you know, we and we provided a kindergarten readiness manual, and so that they could uh, supplement that with getting those kids ready. But actually, the social, emotional, physical readiness um, sometimes was overlooked because the academics got so caught up in people's minds, and is becoming more and more so. And truly, I mean, it is important to have early childhood education and get those kids. Involved in knowing letters and numbers and so on, and, and reading a certain amount, but
1: well, but I have to say, Linda, the 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 impetus, the thing that that differentiated Joy School and the thing that made it, I don't know, basically put it on the map. I, I don't want to say it was anti-academics, but it was it was clearly an alternative to early academics. I mean, yes, there were some kindergarten readiness sort of additions or modules that you could add on, but essentially it was taking the position, how about we teach something more important than early academics, and, and we based it on research. There is, There was then and still is adequate research that teaching kids to read when they're three um, may, may give the parents a good ego trip, and there are some kids who are ready and really want to learn to read, but they're, they're a minority. And, and in fact, what the research shows is that by the time kids are seven or eight, whether they've had that early push academically or not, they catch up and they're on the same level. So so we were asking ourselves and asking sort of the general question, do we really want to use up this incredible sort of sponge-like mind of a preschooler who can absorb anything? to teach them academics a couple of years before they're going to get it anyway, or do we want to ask ourselves the question, what's the most important thing that a child could learn? And, well, and so we we came to the conclusion that joy, happiness. Now, you said it sounds a little hokey, Linda, but when, when you break it down, the joy of the body, the joy of the earth, the joy of goal setting, the joy of imagination, the joy of sharing, Almost all the things you would want a child to learn and that would enhance their childhood can be phrased in the form of a joy.
0: So really, um, this was quite an amazing thing. I mean, it was hard when we started. We got on the phone and made call after call after call, night after night after night, to get people to try it. And it just is amazing what happened to this. Um, It just rolled out. We never did advertise, really. Uh, it just all went word of mouth, and then thousands and then hundreds of thousands of children now have done it. So your mother has left quite a legacy, and the second half of the show, we really are, we're going to talk about the importance of leaving a legacy. Everybody doesn't have to start a joy school, but as we talked about Grandma and all the things that she taught our children, it was really amazing. We gathered in her living room um, the night before the funeral with all of the children and grandchildren that were there and talked about our favorite memories of Grandma. And, wow, did that woman leave a legacy with her children and grandchildren. And a lot of it was just simple little things that were just fun little memories, but things that those children will never forget. And we
1: will, we will do that after the break, but just to wind up with a thought on, on Joy Schools, um, basically, to finish the explanation... One advantage of Joy Schools and one reason, Linda, that I think it caught on like wildfire is because it's so economical, because it's not a commercial venture. It's a group of mothers getting together in a neighborhood and rotating as the teacher and having these fully fleshed-in Joy School lesson plans that they're able to use. And so anyone who hasn't heard of Joy Schools, you ought to go to joyschools.com Joy Schools with an S, and take a look at it if you have preschoolers or if you know of others who have preschoolers. So chew on that for a minute while we take a brief break, and we'll be back to talk about leaving a legacy. and we're back uh, with the second half of Ayers on the Road. And we've enjoyed kind of reminiscing about my mother's legacy, the original composer and writer of the Joy School curriculum, which has reached the childhood lives of hundreds of thousands of children. Now, most people will not leave that particular legacy, but There's nothing like going to a funeral. We've been to a couple of them lately, besides my mother's. There's nothing like funerals to to cause all of us to think a little more about what legacy we are going to leave. What are people going to say at our funeral? What are the things that you will be remembered for, particularly by your own family and by your own children?
0: You know, it is interesting that it's so hard to think past the present and right now, and um, it really is so important to let your children know what you love, let them know what you're passionate about, and then teach them about what you're passionate about. Um, We talked a little bit about Grammy Camp last summer, which was so fun for me, but I love having those little kids on my own. And being able to interact with them, know their personalities, then having them interact with each other. But especially, I love them to know about their ancestors, like who they are and where they came from. There are certain scriptures that they all know because they know I love them, and I gave big rewards for memorizing those scriptures. But, you know, hopefully those are the things they'll remember about me more than just making cookies. We also... You know, love making chocolate chip cookies, and that is a family tradition that's gone down through the, the And family. you never make me any oatmeal raisin cookies. I know a raisin ruins a perfectly good cookie. I just can't. Once in a while I do. You've got to admit it, but not very often. Anyway, just think for a minute. What do your children, what will they remember? I'm, You know, when our, our children were all home, I wrote a book called I Didn't Plan to Be a Witch, And I really hope that that is not what they remember about me, because I was, a lot of days, a very wicked witch. Um, But it really is um, interesting, because I asked the kids last year, I wrote to them and said, what can you remember about me being a witch? And they were so kind. Most of them said, well, actually, I can't remember you being mad very often, which is just... Such a load off my shoulders because I was mad at them a lot. But um, a couple of mentioned a couple of things that they are not about to forget, But um, and nor will I, but it really is interesting that they do remember the good things about you more than the bad things about you.
1: But I do think legacy is something everyone ought to be thinking about, even young parents, because you know, it's a good it's a good framework in which to try to understand who you are becoming and who your children are going to remember. And, of course, the legacy you probably don't want to leave is I was too busy for you. I was too wrapped up in my career. I wasn't there. You don't remember much of me from your childhood. I had other priorities. I mean, think what a horrible legacy that is. And yet, sometimes in our busyness and our worldliness, if I can say that, and our ambition, we really get pulled away. And, and you know, one of the things that makes us a little sad, and it happens more often than we wish, we'll be talking with a parent and they'll say something like, you know, it's really a tough time for me right now career-wise. I've probably got another eight or ten years when... I've really pretty much got to be married to my job. I've pretty much got to put in the long days, and I've just got to accept the reality that I'm probably not going to be around much for my kids. I'm probably going to get home after they're in bed, and I'm probably going to leave before they get up in the morning. And Once in a while, we'll have a soccer game on the weekend, but uh, I've got to do it. I've got to sacrifice so that in eight or ten years, I can build them a nicer house or we can have a little bit better situation in our family. I can pay for a better college for them and so on. Boy, you got to be careful. That's such a slippery slope. And what we often fail to realize is that in eight or ten years, those preschoolers are teenagers. We've missed their childhood or those, those early adolescents are moved away. They're gone. And it slips by so, so fast. One of the things we often remind our audiences when we're speaking to groups of parents is that, uh, you know, the average person who's a parent today probably has a good 84-year life expectancy. And if a child is in your home for 18 of those years, that happens to be one-fifth of your life. And you've got the other four-fifths to do a lot of other things and prioritize a lot of other things. But that 18 years, somehow, and I know it's easier said than done, if we really want to leave a legacy with our children, that's the time they have to be prioritized. And I, I think they real heroes. And we, we meet people like this every once in a while, too. And sometimes they're not particularly happy about it. But they're the people who are struggling a little bit. Maybe they're not um, as aggressive as they could be if they wanted to devote 14 or 16 hours a day to their career. Maybe they're living on a little less money than their than their comfort level would demand. But they are spending time with those kids. I I find myself admiring people like that. Or you've maybe heard the classic story of. The couple who saved and saved and saved and worked hard and had extra jobs and finally had a little bit of extra money and had a family council and said, we've got this much money, we can do one of two things. We can build a second bathroom, which will make it so much nicer around our house and for all of you kids, or we can do a family vacation And the kid that was a mistake, of course, because the kids voted for the vacation, and they ended up going on it. And then they realized, and this is a little different than a legacy, but it's related, Linda. They realized what they made on that first family vacation they'd had in many years. They made memories. They made family memories. And that's part of the legacy that we all want to leave.
0: Well, it is so important. And as we live day-to-day life, we don't realize we're leaving a legacy or things that our kids will even remember that were funny things that the grandchildren brought up. Um, just a sweet little story from one of the older granddaughters who said that Grandma came to her, and really none of her grandchildren lived in the same town and same city. She lived up in Logan, Utah. And none of them ended up, her children ended up right there uh, for most of her life. But this one granddaughter said, when I was about nine years old, I was visiting Grandma, and she said, Come with me, Brittany, because I have a little friend who is nine years old, and you're nine years old, and I don't know. I've got to get her a gift. I don't know what she likes. I don't know what she would want, so you come and help me choose. So Brittany went with her, and they chose, I think, a lovely bracelet, and then they chose a book, which was The Little Princess. And then they took the gifts home, and then Grandma wrapped them up, and then she turned around and gave them to Brittany and said, you are the little girl that I want to have these gifts, because I didn't know what you'd want. And so that was just a sweet, sweet experience that all of us went, oh, that is so dear, because that's just the way Grandma was. And then another grandson said he remembered playing kick the can once, and that on Grandma's team, everybody was in jail, and Grandma came along in a disguise along the sidewalk. No one knew that she was there and came running over and kicked the can and got everybody out of jail. So, you know, those were really fun stories that none of the other children may have known, but it is so typical of Grandma... She is, uh, she was such a delight. Also difficult sometimes. We have to always remember that. They could not twirl in the chairs in the living room. They, somehow she got twirly rocking chairs. And every kid wanted to twirl in them. And she was always, don't twirl the chairs. And, uh, but just talking about The things that went through, that she went through trying to raise those children, making powdered milk every single night of her life so that she could feed the kids and all those things are just so precious.
1: The thing that kept occurring to us is that you don't leave a legacy unless you are willing to spend time at it. I mean, the things that, that all of the kids and grandkids remembered about Grandma were not some physical gift she'd left to them, and and although she did. I mean, she was frugal, and she managed to help many of them with their education and so on. And I'm sure that the kids appreciated that, but when it came to legacy and what they really remembered, it was the time, not the money, that mattered. And it was things like you've mentioned, Linda, and... uh, you know, she'd have them over to her house, and she had She had rules. There was no question about it. But, but she loved having them. And, and you know, they'd do the little puzzles that she had made. She at one point, had actually made some remarkable little puzzles for kids, and they would do them. But her rule was, you have to finish one puzzle. And make sure the pieces are in it, and put it away before you get the other puzzle. So, in a way, she was a rule freak. Let's be honest about it. But <laughs> the kids understood that, and they and she'd say when they came in, now kids, you're in my house now, and we have my house rules, and it might be a little different than yours, but we are going to do it this way. And they would always be grateful. And the things they remember, though, Linda, are the things that. It took time. And and don't ever fall into this crock about quality time. Well, I don't have much time, but the time I do have is quality time. And so I think you've got to remember that it takes a little
0: quantity of
1: time to really leave a legacy.
0: You know, the interesting thing is that um, as our kids contemplated what they had learned from Grandma... One of our daughters wrote a blog post about what each one of her children bought from Grandma's jeans, and it was so fun. One little girl tidily makes her bed every single day. She said, I didn't teach her to do that. I still don't do that. But that came from Grandma. Another little child loves little children and does so well. I mean, Hazel is just a magnificent magnet for little children, and that is the way Grandma was. So it goes not just through one generation, but down And I love the quote that says, it's like a river that goes on and on and on and out of sight. So that is what a legacy is about, because it's not just here and now, it's for generations to come.
1: It really is. So let's review a little. We've had a good time just kind of visiting. We love doing this once a week, because it sort of causes a review of our own life for the past week. We are now going to be headed out again on the road In terms of flying around speaking to parents, we'll be uh, down in uh, Arizona this coming week speaking to a wonderful conference on the problem of pornography and how we can fix it. Then we'll be in, in Laguna Beach a little later, and then we'll be in Buenos Aires in Argentina later in the month speaking to a wonderful group of parents there. And we want to remind you that the great thing about what we do in terms of what it teaches us is simply that wherever you go, there are parents who are trying very, very hard to raise the next generation, parents who care as much as you and I do about their children and who welcome good ideas, welcome things like joy school, welcome things like living a better life and trying a little harder every day be a little better parent because frankly there is no more important thing in our lives and we're just here every week to remind you of that. I hope it doesn't get old because we're going to keep on doing it.
0: So we wish you the very best in thinking about your own legacy this week. Um, As you scold your children in a voice that you really wish you didn't have, maybe correct that and and give them something they can remember that's positive and wonderful and especially that you love them so much. That's what really counts and we appreciate your being with us this week. We'll see you. Again. See you
1: next week on Ayers on the Road.